Before we begin, this is a podcast about terrorism, which does mean that we do talk about acts of terrorism and extreme violence, so you may find some of the following material upsetting. Hello, I'm Fatma Ahmed, your host and guide in this series of Taking Apart Terror, the West Africa edition. Together, we'll analyze the realities of violent extremism in West Africa and delve into the local, regional and international efforts and initiatives to prevent and counter violent extremism. In today's episode, we'll be looking at Who's tackling terror in the Lake Chad Basin? And joining me as we unpack this is Anna Sherborne, Deputy Head of CVE Unit at the Commonwealth Secretariat, and Samuel Ngabu, Executive Director for the Center of Promotion of Human Rights and Development in Africa. So let's get started. In this episode, we really want to learn more about what is being done to counter ISWAP in the Lake Chad Basin. And given that you're both practitioners working uh, in this space, it would be great for you to share your thoughts to the listeners on what is being done to counter ISWAP in the Lake Chad Basin. Yes, uh, I think one point that we need to mention from the get-go, it's this understanding that has kind of evolved from the initial responses of local government in the region about this issue of violent extremism. It's been a relief to see how the response has evolved from being purely military to uh, expose whole of society approach to address uh, the issue of violent extremism. Uh, not only local government have uh, refined the lenses through which they were seeing this phenomenon. Also, the international community has been integrating uh, the whole of community approach in trying to address this issue of violent extremism. If you look, for instance, at the investment that has been made by uh, the government of the United States through its main agencies, more notably uh, OTI, the uh, Office of Transition Initiatives, as well as uh, USAID, they funded projects that are targeting uh, different segments of uh, societies in those different countries. For instance, in Cameroon, they've managed to uh, fund a program that is looking specifically at the social cohesion on the demand side of uh, governance problems, but also working on the supply side by strengthening service delivery ability of local government. It's important to mention the causes of violent extremism in Lake Chad Basin varies greatly from what we've seen in other parts of the world, more specifically Southeast Asia and, and the Middle East. Most of the issues stem from uh, ungoverned spaces and, and poor governance, among other things I should mention. So it's really refreshing to see that uh, they've been programming aimed addressing not only uh, those ungoverned spaces, but also providing enough means to the local government, which oftentimes it's ill-prepared to carry out even the most basic functions that it's supposed to have for the communities that it's supposed to serve, especially rural communities. So uh, the OTI uh, intervention in uh, the northern part of Cameroon, as well as Chad and uh, Niger, definitely worked how to uh, seize the windows of opportunities that were made possible by the relatives that that stem from the intervention of the Joint Multinational Task Force. I just have to agree with almost everything that you've said. And I think in particular, over the past few years across the Lake Chad Basin, we've really seen the understanding of the problem with terrorism and the way that we need to respond to terrorism in this region, shifting from being a bit of a siloed problem with a lot of blame being levelled between different actors and different levels of government, a stronger understanding that this is a shared problem and a very 
exciting evolution in this real desire that we're seeing from across the region to try and understand what it is that's really causing and driving violent extremism. In particular, I really support the assessment that you made that there's this really strong interface in the Lake Chad Basin region between problems of development and problems of security. And of course, it's almost like a horrible knot between these two issues because poor governance and underdevelopment has created an opening for terrorist organisations to thrive in the past. But as a consequence, or as we've moved forward from that, the insecurity that is caused by terrorist operations in the region means that efforts to develop, to strengthen governance and respond to crises like climate change and COVID are undermined because there isn't the stability and security and the ability to plan for the long term that is needed. So all in all, it's 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 a complex region and the issues that drive terrorism in the Lake Chad Basin region are not the same as the issues that drive terrorism um, in other parts of the world. Nevertheless, I think it's been uh, really fantastic to see partners from across the region and the, and the world looking to examples from overseas of what has worked and what hasn't worked to try and shape the way that they want to move forward as they're really trying to focus on integrating CVE and prevention of terrorism um, alongside just those those military responses of um, countering terrorism that has already emerged. So it's um, a really positive uh, time to be working in the region. No, thank you both. And I think you both really helped to showcase to the listeners of this evolving nature, moving away from just military responses, boots on the ground, to much more of a holistic process of being hyper-local in the context, understanding the challenges of the communities, whether it's deficits in governance, you know, poor service delivery, whatever the systematic structural issues may be, it would be great to hear a bit more about some of the diversity and approaches. So for instance, you know, in some of the PCV programming that you've worked on in the region, um, what type of individuals do you engage with? Um, what kind of interventions are you focusing on? I mean, one thing for sure, it's that uh, working in this uh, sphere, you, you get to experience lots of emotion. You get to work with a variety of people. At the forefront, really, of the effort to stem off a uh, progression of violent extremist ideology with community leaders. I mean, they play such an important role. And I think they were key in making a different government understanding that this fight against radical ideology, it's asymmetrical, strictly security lens would not help solving the problem because at the core of the solution is the issue of collaboration between uh, security forces and local communities that they serve. For instance, we've been working with community leaders in the northern part of Cameroon, providing them training on how to address potential conflict arising between herders or pastoralist communities and farmers. You have to understand, as Anna was pointing out a little bit earlier, is that there could be some old grievances which have always been addressed using specific community uh, mediation practices that have been taken advantage of by radical or violent extremist organizations. And ISOP has been really good at taking advantage of uh, old grievances. We often time hear about uh, pastoralist communities, how they are being used in this uh, conflict by violent extremist organizations. Specifically for the northern part of Cameroon, it's the, the, the Kanori people. We countless uh, studies showing that the membership of some of the VEO's organization is made up of uh, Kanuri. But that is not to say that organically Kanuri would like to join violent extremist organization. It's because it's the people 
that is left quite vulnerable. If you look at that specific population, they span from the northern part of Cameroon, going through Nigeria all the way to Niger. And it's a community that has been disenfranchised. If you look at the lake region, for instance, uh, a decision by the government of Chad to vacate the islands in order to better address or better fight VEOs there has left the canoe even more vulnerable because they were taken out of the ecosystem and moved to other places in Chad with no possible ways of gaining the livelihood. But more specifically, we lean on community leaders as entry points to the communities in order to define and understand what the needs of those communities were outside of the ecosystem. Village head, religious leaders have been instrumental in the outreach that we've had with uh, those communities. And then finally, another group that I would like to mention, which I believe oftentimes do not take enough credit for the work that the group does, journalists, basically. And uh, we are working on the project with uh, journalists to diffuse and uh, reduce the effect of disinformation by fact checking the information that is being provided to the community because we understood that uh, unlike misinformation, disinformation is basically a political tool that is being used by violent extremist organizations. And I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but we've noticed that for the past five years, more and more, especially when COVID came around, we could see narrative about conspiracy theories that have been relayed by violent extremist organizations in order to try to enroll members of the community by using a false narrative to uh, lure even more uh, community members into their arms. Completely agree. We've seen a lot of the, the conspiracy theories and definitely COVID was just another example in the, the years-long, I think, trend of violent extremist organizations being quite flexible and responding to local crises and, and, and frustrations and grievances and problems in a way that will help them to try and attract and recruit more members. I think what I, I love about this conversation is that it really, I think for me, strengthens that so much of the work we do on PCBE is complementary but different. Um, at the Commonwealth Secretariat, we've been working through our CVE program at a different level of, of the challenge because our primary focus is to work with Commonwealth country governments, um, and in particular, in my case, working with the government of Cameroon to try and strengthen their ability um, and capacity and to implement PCVE strategy effectively inside Cameroon. As you, you described, there's this really strong desire, I think, to move away from a military solution only to a more holistic solution that integrates some of those challenges that people are feeling on the ground, including a lack of education, including um, not feeling like they have effective uh, ways to resolve disputes and grievances within those communities. And also recognising that sometimes the military solutions that have been put in place in the past, if they are heavy-handed, can have a very destructive effect on communities and can indeed create grievance against um, the government or the military themselves. So um, in the Commonwealth, we've been doing a lot of work with the government of Cameroon to try and help them to develop the instruments they need for systematic implementation of preventing and countering violent extremism measures within Cameroon. And through a lot of dialogue and discussion and partnership with uh, different ministries within the government of Cameroon, we've been focused quite a lot on strengthening uh, government's ability to work with young people and youth organisations. 
creating opportunities for women's leadership of PCBE, working with the government to to try and make sure that they have the systems in place to govern PCBE policy and write PCBE policy in a way that they know what's going on um, and they're being very systematic and structured in the way they're tackling this problem. Finally, coming back to the point you were making about the the, the power of disinformation, uh, we've been doing a lot of, of work to understand how terrorists use the internet in uh, the, the northern regions of Cameroon and in other parts of Commonwealth countries in Africa so that countries are more able to effectively advocate or push some of these tech corporations to address terrorist use of the internet as it manifests on the ground. It's been a a multifaceted approach, but I think it it really demonstrates that as part of a whole of society approach to CDE, we really need to be doing this uh, local work in specific communities with specific families about their specific problems. And we also need to be pulling back and working at that structural level on making sure that we've got the policies and the programs and that we are working in ways that are coordinated and trying to solve problems rather than allowing problems to kind of exacerbate themselves because we we weren't paying close enough attention. Thank you both. Uh, really interesting. And I think um, complemented by what you both said is is truly a, uh, this whole of society approach, right? Which is, you know, ensuring that we're working with communities and community leaders and those who are seen as credible within those communities where citizens reside in, but as well as this importance of building up the capacity and strengthening the government's ability to work with the youth. I'm interested in hearing more about your own experiences on engaging with religious leaders as well, because we often hear about this importance of social cohesion, working in to improve cross-cultural understanding, working with interfaith, because we know groups like ISWAP and other violent extremist groups really exploit differences that may exist rather than similarities that people will have of different faith, and also ensuring much more understanding and acceptance. Can touch a bit more about how do you work with interfaith and cross-cultural understanding and, and why are they important to countering ISWAP and violent extremist groups? In the Commonwealth, we have a fantastic program called Faith in the Commonwealth, uh, which trains youth um, leaders and youth peace builders to facilitate discussion and dialogue between different faith communities within their their home countries. We'll soon be launching an expanded program called Respect in the Commonwealth that that takes that idea and and also helps to facilitate discussion between communities whose point of difference may not be religion. But we we ran this program in 2018 with just the most phenomenal group of young peace builders uh, drawn from many different religious communities and and many different regions of Cameroon. And one of the points that they kept emphasising is that a real precursor to violent extremism is that discussion and dialogue shuts down. People start to think that if they don't agree with someone, that there is no way forward, that they can't get by with or deal with that person effectively. One of the really important lessons that we teach through the the Faith in the Commonwealth program is emphasising that there are lots of ways to disagree amicably. And in fact, that's something that we really emphasise in the Commonwealth. It's an organisation or a collection of countries that make all of their decisions on consensus. Um, And learning to disagree amicably is, is one of the bedrocks of the way that we move forward as an institution. So it's been a really important lesson for us. We've been working quite a lot at that grassroots level with young peace builders who have taken those lessons out to their local communities and just amazing outreach. And we've also been looking to encourage sort of structural reforms that will strengthen that capability to to have those discussions about disagreement, about difference uh, within our communities. And 
we'd love to see that to become a much more integrated part um, of the work that we do. So um, education ministers from across the Commonwealth recently agreed to a series of, of ideas about how we could better embed global educa- uh, citizenship principles into the way that we educate young people and how we can teach young people to disagree respectfully, to advocate for their point of view and to accept points of difference with other young people. So it's um we've had some incredible achievements, but we still have a, a long way to go. But I think really one of the bedrocks of our work in building that social cohesion that you've described is we need to be able to accept points of difference between ourselves and our communities and to find ways forward where we can accept and embrace uh, those points of difference that will allow our communities to thrive. Um, Samuel, you do a lot of work um, through your organisation on the promotion of human rights and development as well. Like, Do you have any uh, experiences as well in terms of this building on social cohesion amongst different communities? Yes, and uh, I, I wanted to come back a little bit to what uh, Anna said about the efforts that they do with uh, Young Peace Builder and all the efforts that the Commonwealth does on uh, interfaith dialogue. I think all of those initiatives are really good. The need to promote moderate voice, so working to promote moderate voices, it's something that more and more it's taking hold uh, in the Lake Chad region with that specific goal of amplifying moderate voices. And it did so by putting at the forefront imam, priest, other community leaders working to promote peace and tolerance by strengthening that positive local narrative, thus allowing... uh, the expansion of the access to information. And that was one key element, increasing the dialogue between uh, different communities. Uh, in, in, in the northern part of Cameroon, for instance, there have been uh, villages where communities realized that ISOP would attack at specific days. So those communities came together and they said, okay, this is a problem that we are facing. We have uh, those groups attacking us. So what we need to do is to create such of self-defense groups, where by when the Muslims are actually going to prayer, we can guard their houses. And Muslims will do the same on Sundays when the Christians go to attend mass service. So it's a great example of how interfaith communication and dialogue can be translated concretely, so to speak. And it's also a great example on how social cohesion can be built in Niger, uh, for, for instance, if you look at the Difa region, through the uh, Peace Promotion Project, we took aim at working to strengthen again those community relationships. One key element that we need not to forget when we're talking about community cohesion, it's the youth. For every problem, if we're looking at a solution, we need to include young both boys and girls, just as we try to include women in in discussing those issues. In Niger, youth were actually quite important in addressing those issues because if you look at the herders, basically the herder heading uh, the flocks from the pastoralist communities, their young people do not often time have the temperance and patience of uh, the ancient. So in order to address that issue, we had to revive the mechanism where young pastoralists and young farmers could sit together around tea and discuss about their different ways of life because another issue uh, threatening community cohesion in the deeper region was the fact that communities were not talking to each other. They used to be market days where different communities could come together and discuss and exchange, but because of the repeated attacks of violent extremist organizations, market days 
have been disrupted to the point that uh, whenever they are being held, people are just focused on coming and, and selling whatever they can sell and leave because mm. they are attacks. One thing that we do at CPHDA, for instance, it's for all of our assessment, all of our data collection, and more precisely, whenever we want to roll our community asset appraisals tool, we put the youth at the center of the process because it's through them that we can have credible information through them that we can know what are the different dynamics within the community because they are the ones, first of all, who would feel the brunt of the negative action brought on by extremist organizations. They are the ones that are being affected by unemployment. They are the ones being affected by the lack of economic opportunities. Therefore, they should be the ones basically every program needs to focus on in terms of finding the solution to those different issues. No, thank you both, uh, Anna and Samuel. Uh, it's been so extremely comprehensive, uh, really informative and grounded on uh, some of the good practices that you're doing with the communities, with government and other stakeholders. And, and I think the messages were really loud and clear in terms of the importance of uh, you know, uh, inclusive partnership and, and ensuring that there isn't one solution. In the next episode, we'll be asking who's tackling terror online? Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Fatma Ahmed. Until next time, goodbye.